Does taking steroids really help in a sled race? Hi, and welcome to another episode of Play Like a Girl. It is October 27th, and today we will be talking about how, as I so put it in my headline, the NHL is gaslighting female hockey fans. Also discussing University of Oregon's tailgating practices. So first of all, let's just do a quick run through of the schedule this weekend. Women's rowing and women's tennis are both going through their preview seasons right now. So women's rowing will be at the head of the American race and women's tennis is at the Canvas Invitational. Tonight, volleyball will play USC at six at Alaska Airlines Arena. On Saturday, rowing and tennis continue and football will be versus UCLA at Husky Stadium at 1230. Sunday, men's golf is at a tournament. Women's tennis continues. Volleyball will play UCLA at 11 a.m. Women's soccer will be at ASU at 1 p.m. And men's soccer is at UCLA at 5 p.m. So let's get right into the column. Basically, what happened is Bauer, which is a very popular hockey brand is doing this campaign for the women's movement right now where they feature female hockey players and you have the hashtag women's movement never stops several of the hockey players on their sponsorship like jonathan taves and austin matthews have tweeted this basically identical tweet this is proud to support the women's movement includes the hashtag and has a link to a youtube video advertising bauer one of the people who is sponsored by bauer is patrick kane who is most well-known as a forward for the Chicago Blackhawks and also was accused of rape two summers ago, and a while before that was accused of sexual harassment, as well as choking a cab driver. In seeing that Patrick Kane was one of the people who was asked to tweet this, I found it pretty tone-deaf by Bauer and, by extension, the NHL, to be promoting women's rights through the mouthpiece of a rapist, and so basically discussed how lack of authenticity in advertising towards women is dangerous and can lead to false ideas that, you know, the NHL really cares about us when, and then you get let down when your favorite player does something like this. So is there public backlash against this player for uh, promoting it? Uh, it yes, there was. Like, originally, so I saw the tweet, like, five minutes after it was tweeted, and all of the responses were like, I'm so proud of you, and wow, you're so woke, which was disgusting to me but then after that I checked a couple hours later and there was a lot more backlash people were very upset about it obviously there's a difference between tweeting something in support and actually trying to change how you act and how that contributes to the problem and if he is making no efforts to change his own beliefs and how he acts in his personal life then the tweet just kind of falls flat and whatever like show of support he's making doesn't really mean much if you can't back it up. Yeah, and it just it's in general very upsetting to me because Patrick Kane is this guy who gets like revered in hockey and basically the NHL has been trying to promote this narrative, like just trying to wipe away the, the rape accusations. And like in this in the responses that were like, I'm so proud of you, it feels like they've succeeded in that and they've succeeded in completely erasing the story of the victim and I feel is really hurtful to victims of sexual assault in general to like make it so like their voices aren't important and the perpetrators just get away with it and are seen as like good people as good men. Yeah, I feel like even if there was good intention behind the campaign, we should be focusing on elevating the voices of those who've been affected by it and not those who've been perpetrating. 
And you shouldn't glorify someone for, I don't know, like, I'm so proud of you. I just think that's just a weird response, personally, to the situation itself, like promoting something like that or being an advocate for it. I think it's something that needs to be recognized by both men and women, and I don't think that he should be afforded any like congratulations for doing it, especially within the position that he's in by being a perpetrator himself. It's also strange in general how much we put professional athletes on pedestals and how we excuse a lot of their behavior and when they come out in support of something, like, oh my god, yay, they're such a good person, but we fail to look at what they've actually done in their own lives to address the issue. Just because they have a big contribution to the sports itself and to the, I guess, the society that they're in doesn't mean that they should have a free pass for their behavior. Yeah, just because you're a good professional athlete doesn't mean you're a good person. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Do we want to talk about Oregon now? So basically, I came across this article about how Oregon football fans tailgate in the parking lot of a youth jail. So there's a youth detention center across the street from Oregon Stadium. And so the tailgate sort of bleeds out into that parking lot. The author, who um, I believe was from Oregon, pointed out that it was interesting that there are kids who are like being punished for crimes and kids who are like have you know rough childhoods and stuff who are in that detention center and then across the street there's kids getting recruited to a top tier athletic program and just like the divide between that i just thought it was sort of an interesting thing to look at the the class divide just across the street and i feel like i don't know exactly how i feel about it but it just like feels wrong to be doing that you know yeah i think that i mean i thought it was an interesting article i think that the article itself was very opinionated Mm -hmm. not I mean, they were all right with it, but I think you could also tell that they were bothered by it. And I just think that it's interesting that you can literally see, like, society's, not society's goals, but in a way, like, they're what we value as a society. I think that they're really juxtaposed in that kind of situation where we have, like, a detention center where people don't even believe that children should be criminalized. And then we have another big industry, which is sports and, you know, everyone getting scholarships, free money. That kind of thing. I don't know, I just thought it was interesting, like an interesting view on the whole situation. I thought it was interesting in light of the national anthem protests that have been going on, because people argue that sports and politics should be separate when literally right across the street is one of the biggest problems that I would argue we have in America today, especially since the prison profit system depends a lot on disproportionately targeting minorities and just having that, it's just like having that juxtaposition where you can literally look at this enormous industry that's still profiting off young people, but in a different way. And then across the street, you have the same thing. Mm-hmm. And different, I mean, in both ways, I feel like they're both profiting off like the lives of young black men, yeah. uh, like in a major way, even though obviously not every single guy on a football team or every single person in a youth jail is going to be a young black man. They are disproportionately jailed and the football is a majority black sport. So that is something that I feel like in our society, black men are seen more like as a method of profit rather than actual human beings. I remember in the article it said that, I don't know if it was blacks or color, I think it was blacks make up like 2.3% of the population, but there are 9.3% in Oregon's jails. And I don't know, if you've ever been to Oregon, it's so white. There are no, there are no colored people in Oregon. I feel so uncomfortable, and so I thought, like, I could kind of relate to this story. It was just, I don't know if the person who wrote it was a minority. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure. But the way they were talking about it, I couldn't really gauge if they were or not. So that's also another thing to kind of 
play into where blacks are disproportionately in jails, like in higher quantities than any other race. We've also talked in the past on the podcast about how college athletics profit off of young people's playing, and they don't, and they normally the athletes don't get any benefit from it. They don't get paid. They get these scholarships, but at a lot of personal cost to them and their families. And just having, again, just like having this, like it seems like. This example is almost something you would, like, make up, just having the juxtaposition of the mm-hmm. prison and the, and the college, like, just different types of exploitation. Yeah, it feels like a feminist ethics yeah, class. Yeah, it it's feels like... like something I'd hear in a philosophy class. Like, imagine if there was a prison across the street from a football stadium. Like, Did they interview the girl or she came up and said that she didn't believe there was actually a juvenile detention center, but she lived, like, across the street or something? The whole article, like, they're literally barbecuing in, like, a prison parking lot, and nobody <laughs> thought... Yeah, they seem fine with it. Like, even reading the story, I think the discomfort that we all felt reading it says a lot about how people should kind of feel towards it. Like, this discomfort, you should, this idea of having a school across the street from this juvenile detention center and just have the contrast of just a lack of opportunity, mm-hmm. like, you should feel uncomfortable by it. And the fact that all these fans are just grilling hot dogs in front of it is just weird. Yeah, because a lot of kids who go to juvie won't have, like, the chance to go to college. Like, they yeah, ask they you if you've ever been arrested on your college yeah. applications. They want jails, especially youth criminalization. They want you to be reformed, but then you aren't given any opportunities to go out of jail and like make that other big step. Like going in jail, just I mean, there's a lot of things you can't do once you get out of jail. So I just yeah. think that it's these kids might not even go to a college football game, let alone yeah. have the opportunities that these players. Yeah, with do. how expensive it is now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This kind of reminded, like, UW has a lot of investment in, in, like, for-profit prisons, and they make a lot of money from it, and people have been calling for them to divest for years. And just, like, this idea of, like, so much wealth, but in such different arenas, but there's still, it's just still a small portion of the population who's benefiting from this. Mm-hmm. Just and like obviously, the prisons. Oregon football team has a ton of money. Like, they're completely, like, Nike has completely built that team. Just the contrast in wealth, the contrast in opportunities for the kids, just the lack of discomfort by the people there. It was just a very interesting article. I felt that it was significant also, like, just the discomfort, like you said, like, we were reading it with discomfort, but there was no quote in there where everyone was bothered by it. Like, they'd be like, yeah, and even if they said, like, I didn't know, like, there was a man who said, oh, like, I didn't know, and there was another girl who said she didn't believe it was a real thing. Like, no one was ever uncomfortable with it, and I think that bothered me. But it's also interesting just that there was a juvenile detention center across the street because normally prisons are kind of tucked away in places where you don't normally go and especially when places that are concentrated with a lot of wealth you don't have you don't have prisons in wealthy neighborhoods like these are put in poor neighborhoods they're put farther out so it's just odd in general yeah it's like i mean it didn't seem that weird to me because i'm an everett silver tips fan and there's a prison right across the street from the stadium or from the arena and it's like and my mom's always, like, worried about me when I go to games because she's like, Everett's so sketchy. You're yeah. right across the street from, like, the prison. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's, no one's going to escape while I'm at a game. Well, like, the low-level prisons, which are probably in more prominent, like, mm-hmm. when it's higher level, you're usually often, like... You're usually farther out. Yeah, like, segregated off in that area. But, like, lower lower level, I don't remember if it's a level two and one, but people, like, go off to work and then come back and sleep in the jail. It's like you can literally, like, just because you're in a jail doesn't mean that you're stuck there all day. Mm -hmm. But then again, this is juvenile. Yeah, it's a little different. Surprise hot take. I did a raw dog's test positive for opioids. 
So people were doping dogs to win the Iditarod? Which is like the- The, the Alaskan dog sled The Alaskan race. dog sled race. No end to what people- I don't- like, people doping dogs! I wonder what kind of doping it was. I feel stupid for asking this, but like, does taking steroids really help in a sled race? Like, It helps their like lung capacity so they can run for longer so you don't have to take breaks. Uh, oh, oh, I, okay, the dogs are the ones. The dogs are the ones. They, there was, they tested, the dogs tested positive for opioids. What, if, does that just mean that they're disqualified? Yeah, but, so, the dogs belonged to this guy who won in 2012, 2014, 2015, and 2016. Mm -hmm. So it's they're a, probably gonna go back. It's a really mm -hmm. prestigious, intense race. It is. It's a very big deal. I've yeah. never heard of it. I read a book about it in I fifth grade. In a history class, I think, like in elementary school, and we learned about the Iditarod. It's so cool. People but... will do anything to win. Mm -hmm. There's yeah, some there's intense ways of doping. Do and those poor dogs, like, I always sympathize more with dogs than people. Thank you again for listening this week. You can find our podcast on uwpodcast.com and on iTunes. And you can follow us along on Twitter and join the conversation at uwplaylikeagirl. Thanks for listening. Ever wondered what drunk food is like in other places? My name is Dee Dee Madigan, host of the weekly podcast Home Plates, where I ask that question and many more. Each week, an international student joins me here in the studio to discuss their food culture. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday right here on the Soundbite Network. For more like this and other great shows covering sports, science, relationships, and the arts, visit the Soundbites website, uwpodcast.com. That's uwpodcast.com.